Before the next episode of XJob Downloaded starts, I have a big favour to ask. If you've enjoyed any of our episodes so far, please can you click on the follow button on your platform. I'm on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon and YouTube. It costs nothing to follow, but makes a real difference to me as a podcast producer. Thank you. This interview has been tape recorded. My name is Paul Maleri and this is XJob Downloaded. And today I'm going to interview Travel Henry. Thank you so much for seeing me today. Where did it all begin for you, Travel? Where are you from and what's your background? Certainly. Uh, first of all, Paul, I'd like to say thanks very much for inviting me onto the show. I really do appreciate being here. Um, good friend and colleague, Nick Inge, you interviewed some while back and a few others and I've had a look. So, Trust me, I really am pleased to be oh, here. You're, you're more than welcome, mate. I, I, um, I meet lovely people and of which you form part of that team, so brilliant. Thank you. But yeah, where did it all begin? Then, if you wish the backstory as such, I'm a Manchester-born, bred and lad, actually. Uh, yeah, good old born and bred in Manchester, without diverting off topic. But when I say I was born in Manchester, for those football fans out there, you'll know which team I support. Oh, you're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're a blue then. <laughs> All day, every day, <laughs> city till I die. But enough football chat for those <laughs> But um, but no, joking apart though, yeah, I went to a primary school was Holy Trinity near Platfields Park. For those who know the area or recall the area, uh, then I went to what were um, went to Mosley Road uh, Secondary School, and then I did the thirteen plus, which a lot of people are going to go, "What's he talking wow. about?" Thirteen plus. Even you did a little bit of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which got me into technical school uh, on a technical drawings course. So the programme was focused around building, construction and surveying. Yeah, and I'll admit, I loved those two topics with a passion and we did lots of them during the curriculum and physical education was the other area I loved with a passion. Unfortunately, outside of that, my interest wasn't the best, let's just say, <laughs> and leave it at that. Um, so by default, as with most people, I wanted to be a budding footballer listen to all the wrong people and then age 14 realized it wasn't going to happen i mean really last minute it wasn't going to happen so I left school at 14 uh showing my age a little bit now and you know for me i always say a little bit tongue-in-cheek for people i wasn't in trouble i wasn't kicked out of school because youngsters again won't understand leaving at 14 will they earlier themselves but my birthday is august so i left in july 15 in august september 15 of course and i was in the army basically so wow. straight into the army as a boy soldier at 15 years of age um, i was reasonably fit i was you know the classic uh, what is it um big player in a very small pond if that makes sense yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> so what, what's your family background my family background yeah my uh, my mother my parents split up sadly as you know as lots of parents mm. uh, sadly do but jamaica is the roots of the background where my family are from and uh, yeah, I have six other siblings, and I was the first born in the UK, so I'm first generation Fantastic. within the family born UK. Yeah, so that, that I have been to Jamaica and visited family out there, um, which I thoroughly enjoyed, I have to be honest, um, and kind of yeah, got into the culture for a couple of weeks themselves from there. But yeah, Jamaica's the background. Um, they didn't really, I mean, don't get me wrong, yeah, I, you know, by and large, 
they got into the community, had a good time within the community, uh, certainly, particularly if we think back to the kind of you know, late 50s, 60s, those times themselves, and just staying you know, with, the, with the positives, the objective sides of it. It was good, but I didn't think they understood some of the why the issues what were happening around across the country, et cetera, mm. themselves. And certainly when I went into the army and I'd come home and talk about some of the things I'd done, then that's when I started to realize that, you know, perhaps, you know, although they have a lot to talk about the Caribbean and around the north, the northwest themselves, but obviously they traveled much further afield than I had at that time, but it was mainly linked back to the Caribbean. So what year you know, did so. you join the army? Um, well, as I say, going back to uh, basically as a failed footballer, I was literally, um, there was no plan B. And I was a combination of lad called, I believe his name was Tony, who joined the Royal Navy as a, uh, as a boy, as a young serviceman. And sincerely, he came home, he had money in his pocket, he wore fancy clothing. <laughs> I thought basically that was for Why me. Not? So um, went along to the careers office at some point. And this, what year was this? Nineteen. Uh, oh, you're gonna catch me out here now. Got nineteen seventy. Nineteen. I was gonna say nineteen seventy. So, uh, you're wearing well, sir. That's all I'll say. Um, <laughs> Thank you. So, nineteen seventy. Um, young lad with a Jamaican heritage walks into a careers office. What was that like for you to go in there? You, you know, accepting that your mate's gone off to join the Royal Navy and he's got pockets full of pennies. But what was that like for you going in there for the first time? Yeah, I have to be honest. I, I sincerely don't remember too much of it. Of it. I generally don't. But um, it didn't feel unnecessarily uncomfortable in any way. I mean, obviously, I was kind of, I suppose, disorientated because I wasn't quite sure what was happening. Um, and I, I don't remember, as I said, I don't recall too much, but I suspect... You know, I was expecting to go in there and pretty much have a brief conversation, sign on the dotted line, and then I'd be in the army. But as you know, there's there's a lot of testing and, you know, uh, obviously vetting to be done, not as strict as it is now. Uh, but genuinely and sincerely, nothing that springs to mind that made me feel unsure and comfortable in any way, if anything. And, you know, for me... Um, it wasn't marketed in the same way it is today, but they're there, aren't you, to kind of bring you in through the door and welcome you with open arms and make you feel, you know, you're the greatest thing out there, which they did very well, actually. And then when you walk through the other door, having got your shilling, it's a completely different world. Did you have to take a parent with you, you know, in 1970, you're 15 years old, did you have to take a responsible adult with you to go and sign on the dotted line, or was it just you? Well, from what I can remember, since it was just me. Yeah, because it was, uh, and again, I said, I generally don't remember too much for some obvious reasons. Yeah. But yeah, my parents were somewhat surprised that, you know, suddenly I'm you know, announcing that I'm going into the army. And if I'm honest, you know, let's, let's be brutally honest about it. Having just turned 15, I haven't really got a clue what's going on, have I? <laughs> Do you know what? Naivety is sometimes the best thing ever. Because if you don't know, it's not, you know, if you don't know what's going on, it's not going to hurt you. So, boy soldier, mm. you went through a form of training for two years before you joined regiment, or how how did that work? Yeah, for me, I think probably the best example I can give people as a wider audience, uh, boarding school in uniform. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but obviously, as uh, you alluded to, uh, quite robust in terms of the training and the discipline. Yeah, but it stands you in good stead. I mean, you look in your office, your office is tidy. 
you were in the army, sir. I was in the police. If you look at my office, you can tell I was in the police. But the um, so what regiment did you go to after your boy oh, service? Oh, yeah, I was Royal Army Medical Corps. In truth, and I say link back to the 13-plus building instructor and surveying, I really wanted to join the Royal Engineers. Right. But I'd missed the intake numbers, so I was, I was left with the option of the Royal Artillery or the Royal Army Medical Corps. And if I'm honest, I knew very little about the Army, but uh, the artillery, I the way it was portrayed to me, didn't sound very attractive. It's very so loud. Was, <laughs> and, and where did you serve when you joined the RAMC? Where did you? Uh, that, uh, just outside of Aldershot, a place called Ashvale. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I served there for just shy of three years. As I say, basically uh, three years of boarding school, pretty much. Fantastic. And then what happens? Uh, yeah, as with most people those days, um, there were, if you wish. Um, two cohorts by and large, uh, what they would call a trend, apprentice tradesmen, so the academics, if you wish, and then junior tradesmen, the non-academics. And although it's, it, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a given, but most eight apprentice tradesmen, as they were called, went in to do the technical jobs. Right. And the junior tradesmen, as we were called, did the kind of, for me, the combat medics and things like that. So the field soldiers, if you wish. It didn't, you know, it didn't always pan out. Some people who were apprentice tradesmen either didn't make the grade or, you know, wanted to kind of get into the field world. And some junior tradesmen actually proved their academic prowess and managed to get technical jobs. So it did, you know, there was the opportunity and the scope. So when you've, when you've finished your basic training, do you get assigned to a particular regiment or do you stay within that? You know, I'm from Colchester, for instance, and we had a, a military hospital here. But now you'll have medics that will be attached to 16 air assault and, and what have you. So how did that work for you? Yeah, certainly back then it was much more from a UK perspective. Um, geographically, there was Tidworth, Colchester and Catterick. Right. Um, 15 field, 19 field and I believe 24 field ambulance. Forgive me if I get the number slightly wrong. But uh, they were the three... Um, Field ambulances, sorry. So um, if you think about regiments, think about sections with regiments, as yeah. you probably where core setups are much smaller, aren't they? Yeah, so in those days, it really was the medics with the core setup would be attached to regiments. Right. And the regiments would have their own, and I think they would call RMAs then, regimental medical assistants. Right. Yeah, before, as you say, nowadays, it's more common to have medics, isn't it? You know, uh, I suppose doing a... Um, a secondment or uh, actually posted to a regiment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've, I've got a, a, a mate of my son's who's with the Paris, attached to the Paris. Where did you go from, though, once you've, once you've finished your training, where did you actually get posted to? So, yeah, I got posted to Tidworth, which was an interesting... I, I loved it, actually. I won't lie. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, I spent, oh, gosh, uh, from Tidworth, Colchester... A time at Edinburgh at HQ Scotland, uh, I believe the place was called Craigie Hall. And what was the Royal Royal Medical Academy in Millbank, next door to the Tate Gallery before yes. it moved yeah, to Portland Yeah, yeah I, I won't lie, as a young single man in the army, that was a great post. Oh, I bet it, I bet it was. I bet it was. The And, and because the, the, the Caribbean have, have supplied troops for years, haven't they? Apart, you know, the Commonwealth forces and what have you. What was the acceptance like in in the army when you joined? Yeah, you know, I, I've 
I, I often get asked the question quite rightly. I've given talks about, uh, if you wish, you know, for me to put it, you know, to put it bluntly, about being a young black man in the army, yeah, etc. Yeah, yeah. I was, you know, just to kind of say it as it is. Um, firstly and foremostly, as I say, generally the army. I mean, not everything's a good experience, but by and large, it worked for me. Yeah. yeah. And I would still recommend it to people. Yeah, absolutely. Themselves. Uh, yeah, there was lots of issues around race. I won't lie. Um, a lot of the time, and I'm not trying to soften a blow or anything like that, but. As a new recruit, uh, as a young apprentice, drop new recruit. Um, if they decided it was my day that I was going to get griefed, to put it politely, then one of the factors was being a black man and yeah. pick the color of the skin, etc. That, please, I'm not saying that makes it right. I'm just no, I'm, no. Look, look, you know, we're we're men of the world here, mate, and um, you know, we're we're not dissimilar. Although you look younger than me, you're slightly <laughs> older. But 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 the fact is that. I understand what you're saying because I come from that generation of under, you know, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, like, like you say, I'm not, I'm not trying to make it right or, or anything. And I've got some great friends who have been through a similar experience. One of them who's, who was a former police officer. Um, mm. He was the first black police officer in the Metropolitan Police. And he's, he's what, what was his name again? Nor, uh, Norwell please. Roberts. I don't know him, but I know of him. And it, yes. I mean, what, what an absolute character, but, he will say that some of his experiences were bad and he was treated badly by individuals, but was his, was his service all about being racially abused? No, it wasn't. It was far from it, but people were ignorant back in the day. They, they I'm pleased to say that um, color of skin doesn't matter. And by the time I've tripped off this mortal coil, my granddaughter will not see color. Well, not you know, and that's and that's how we've evolved and evolved properly as well, and that's how it should be. I mean, if you don't mind, I mean, just a slightly different viewpoint, I mean, yeah. very slightly. Um, and I, I heard it from a, a, a guy from Canada, and I, and I use it quite often. Most people in this world are good people who mean and intend well. Yeah, and I sincerely believe that. That's I agree. Been my experience. Unfortunately, though, I still think and coming around the issues of race, but, you know, whatever underrepresented group you are, you know, there's some parallel issues without being too um, complacent about other people's issues, which I know very little about. But I do, from my own experience, not directly wider, I do think it's Groundhog Day. Yeah. So things I'm... happen, and I do believe generational, it gets better because they grow up, don't they, and to stay with visibility. Yeah. So seeing people who look different is a norm for our grandchildren. Oh yeah, absolutely. But let's let's take it back. I mean, we're we're going slightly off piece here, which I like. But if you take it back to the football world, yeah, one of my football heroes was Clyde Best. Now he was at, he was at West Ham the other week. Now um, I'm a, I'm a West Ham fan through and through. I make look. I've even got claret and blue on today. And and but now, if you turn on popular football, if you turn match a day on. A high percentage of the players are black. So you, you've got that modern culture and you've got people moving into the modern culture. And I think it, I think it's brilliant. You know, I, I really do. And as I say, I think that it is Groundhog Day at times and it's we, we're yeah. regurgitating. And uh, look, let's, talk about, let's talk about policing. The Metropolitan Police are being called institutionally racist. Now, personally, I don't believe that the, the, the 
large percentage of officers are racist. I don't believe that at all. I, I, I certainly I don't believe that the, the top team. But you're you're going to have a a percentage, a small percentage of people that are racist who will say inappropriate things. They'll do inappropriate things, and they're not even doing it. Um, Unwittingly, they're doing it deliberately, and they're the ones that I think need to be dealt with. Absolutely, I'm not. I'm not talking about the ones that say stupid things at the wrong time because they think it's funny, and but the ones that go absolutely out of their way to be vile. I sat and watched um, some friends on Facebook, and mm-hmm. the, you know, like one of the police groups, and some of the things that people have said on there. They showed their true colours. They they yeah. absolutely identified the person that they were, and they surprised me. And it was for the wrong reason. I'm sorry to say, but anyway, look, let's let's go back. So no, you're okay. you're you're in the army. Yeah, you're a, a young West Indian heritage lad in in the army, and not every day's rosy. That's that's the bottom line. But it's no, not. No, no. It, but it's not rosy for a lot of people. It's not only no, a, no. A, about about you. No disrespect, but. Um, <laughs> How long did you serve in the army and the forces? Yeah, uh, twenty odd years. Did uh, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That's the it worked for me. I yeah, can't. I, well, I haven't got enough. I haven't got enough hours in my day to talk about all the different places you've worked in. Then, so did you serve overseas during that period? Yes, I did. Yes. Where did uh, you go then? So fortunate to travel many places overseas, and um, I'm not embarrassed to say quite a lot of those places were through sport. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> Wednesday yeah, afternoons um, were well, all worth it. America, Canada, Hong Kong, most of Europe, and a few other places, I'm sure. Oh, uh, gosh, uh, Bermuda, spent a little bit of time in Bermuda, Senegal, and one or two other places. Yeah, how fantastic. And, and what were you actually doing there? I mean, when you say a lot of it through sport, but what sports were you playing at that time? Oh, sorry, yes, fair comment. Um, as a youngster, football. Yeah, um, having represent army under 18s as such, but in fairness, there were some cracking footballers that were just lazy, and I say that sincerely. Yeah, yeah, I was, those who were quite fit could run around a lot, thankfully, got in. Uh, but then as I got a bit older, I got into squash in quite a big way and played yeah, quite a lot of representative squash when I was in the services, and that got me out to, as I say, some good trips overseas on the old army tours. Oh, yeah, but then from a military point of view, Go out and you know, there's lots of still to this day. Uh, I'm calling training teams, so to support the local communities, thrusters, medics. You know, uh, certainly, uh, gosh, going back to uh, excuse my ignorance, whether it's Belize or British Honduras currently, I'm not sure which it is. Excuse my ignorance. It's Belize. It's Belize. Yeah, I think. Belize, sorry, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. But we did a stint out there for about two months where we basically set up a field surgical team uh, in what was or possibly still is the capital, Belmapan. Wow. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we provided basically first aid support to the local community. Did you? Because, I mean, it's it's uh, Belize is still a, a huge training or jung- jungle warfare That's training right. yes. um, camp. And there's um, historically there's been some issues in one of the local brothels there where I think the prime minister's son was or nephew was killed, or something like that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's still it's still a busy place. I think for the for the yes. services. Mm. What was your best posting? Oh, <laughs> that's a great uh, Cyprus. Oh, was it? 
Yeah, and if you don't mind, I'll share with you why. Um... Listen, share away. You, the, the world right, is your you. oyster, mate. You, I, I, I can edit anything out that you think. Oh, I wish I'd have said that. I, uh, I, but you know, uh, but but look, you just share away. People are interested in this. No, no, sorry. Thank you. Uh, as I'm unlikely to to swear, anything you put in there, I'll be comfortable with. Genuinely, cool. um, it's you and I having a chat. Yeah, you know, which I'm enjoying absolutely. But Good, um. Man. Cyprus, the main reason why it stands out from the please, this is not a woe is me growing up story, but it was the old classics I'm sure with respect directly or indirectly you can relate to. Our summer holidays was the old coach trip to the seaside <laughs> for us, Wales, Colwyn Bay. Yeah. Uh, don't get me wrong, it was great. We had a fantastic time. But that was the old, you know, the old street got together, didn't they? A bit like the old yeah. um, Fools and Oysters. Fools and Oysters. Horses, yeah. Go, go on a Beano, yeah. That's the Beano, thank you. I was trying to remember what it was. That's right. And it was that. It was great, please, don't get me wrong. But then suddenly, I think as a 16-year-old, boy soldier anyway, to get the opportunity to go to Cyprus, it just, wow, I can remember it to this day. And it's had a massive influence on me because waking up in the morning as I'm looking out my window now and the sun shining just meant so much. And I think that stayed with me now. The sun shining, it's a good day. Cyprus was just incredible, incredible. Did you ever have to go to theatre? Were you ever in, in any conflict? Uh, the first Gulf conflict, uh, but I, um, again, I, um, at that time, um, I was at what was Woolwich, Woolwich Military Hospital? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Queen Elizabeth Military Hospital, that's right. It was, it was, it was known then. I was a WO2, so South Major Class 2. And as, as happens with uh, most trips out into the theatre, if you're not going as a regiment, suddenly you get a phone call to pop up to what I call the top corridor. <laughs> you get a briefing and you're en route. So I met up with a an RMC Captain McDonald, I can't remember his first name off the top of my head, and the squadron leader. We went to JHQ High Wycombe, and I can't remember the dates as such, but it was literally, I think, from arriving one day i think maybe two days later maximum we'd had a briefing we were suddenly these so-called team of experts um mapper procedure process it was called a management aid to protection of personal executive reporting i've got that a little bit wrong but yeah management aid executive reporting the two p's i forgot but it's to do around casualty evacuation right yeah so we were rare in terms of forward areas uh, with themselves. But, and if you think back to certainly those times, um, in terms of communications weren't nowhere as quick as they are now. Um, so one of the concerns we had, where it was a, um, a battle in, a battle accident, sorry, uh, it's not quite the right terminology, but somebody gets injured during training, i.e., you know, yeah, yeah. Up war or it was a casualty, but in this instance, uh, a serious injury, then by default, the parents need to be notified back in the UK. Right, yeah. So we, or certainly from a medical headquarters point of view, and what we were doing was reviewing that that process from the frontline area back to the parents was as smooth as it could could be. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, the issue was, because you had the cameras out there, if the incident happened at, let's say, 3 o'clock on the 6 o'clock news, you know, you'd be sitting there watching it on your, in your living room as we do today. But trying to get that information back to the parents before they actually yeah. watched it on TV, which is, you know, nowadays is even more of a dilemma yeah, than issue. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but there were many a times when we were caught out, obviously, you know, the delay of checking and double-checking, going through various um, points of contact in terms of senior people, 
you know, it was quite delayed really, but you know, that's what we were fundamentally around the kind of casualty evacuation chain. So yeah, I was fortunate. I, well, yeah, I didn't deploy forward, so to speak. In that respect, I say fortunate. I mean, as with policing, isn't it? You go where you're told and you get on. Yeah, with exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, so, I absolutely agree. What was that, 91? Uh, yeah, 90 well done. Yeah, Thank you. I, 90, 90, 90, I, I lived in Colchester then. I think about the Gulf War as recent times, but it's 32 yes. years ago. And if you take if you take that back to 32, 32 years beforehand, you'd have been four years old. You yeah, know, it's gosh. just it's it's an incredible sort of feeling. Didn't go to um across the Falklands? Right. Yeah, um, I went down, uh, gosh, December 84. Right. So the rebuild around um, Mount Pleasant area before yep. the opening of the airfield and trying to rebuild, regenerate, etc. And that was, yeah, I, mean, I suppose from a military operational perspective and the recovery and the rebuild was interesting in that respect. Yeah, I, I, I can imagine. I, I've got a couple of mates and I interviewed one um, that came out this week and... You know, the Falklands is still a fresh memory. I was a kid, but it yeah. was it's still a fresh fresh memory. Did you serve in Northern Ireland? I did, but I only did one very short stint out there themselves, and I spent a lot of the times in headquarters and um, hospital establishments. Right. So I wasn't patrolling the streets per se. Because I mean, Colchester, the military hospital, they've got a med centre there now because the military yeah, centre yeah. hospital's gone. And when, yeah, yes, yes. When I was a little boy. Um, we lived in army accommodation mm. and I ended up there because I'd fractured my skull. I fell wow. out. Yeah. And we lived in this house and it was a uh, Plassey block, which was a, a battle, a famous battle, Victorian right. houses. And I had managed to climb out of my high chair and came crashing down on the stone floor. And that was it. I mean, how, how I'm still here, I don't know. It probably explains a lot about me, actually. If anybody's listening and they know me, that probably explains a lot about me. What was it like transitioning out of the military? I mean, there were obviously highlights in the military. You travelled, you played your sport, you, you learnt lots. You, you finish as a um, WO2. To, to be a warrant officer, one or two, you've got serious credibility within your regiment and the top look down and they have great respect for you and the yeah. the, the folks on the ground have the so you're right in the middle you know you're yes. the you're the, the you're the senior nco aren't you at the end of the day indeed yes but what was that like transitioning out from from the army <laughs> i've recounted this to a lot of people uh imagine it was like I went for a job interview once in London, and when I left there, all I could think about in my head was, it was, it was a gentleman. So the guy who interviewed must have thought I just stepped off a spaceship, having been orbiting the Earth for 20-odd years. I did not have a clue what was going on. Really? I don't mind admitting to you. I was completely lost and disorientated. Thankfully, going back to your earlier comment, I didn't realise how lost and disorientated I was, thankfully, because I probably would have got stressed. Mm. But, you know, that... Analogy in the military, and you know, for me, and I, I believe this to a degree in the services, whether it's support or whether it's robust support, if you get what I'm trying to say. Yeah, but there's somebody there who will either sort it, fix it, or tell you what you need to do. Yeah, and then yeah. suddenly it's this get on with it. And it was like having been supported for 20 odd years, suddenly it was like, wow, it really was. Yeah, so completely disorientated. 
completely, utterly. What was your preparation like, though? Because now it's all resettlement courses and they get credits and, and money to go and do... I mean, I've got a mate who went and did a, a dive course and another one who went and did a Yacht Masters course. I mean, <laughs> which has served him in good... You know, served him yeah. well because he's now working for, a, for a, um, a yacht sales team. But what was your transition? What was your resettlement like? Yeah. I mean, if I'm honest, firstly and foremost, I mean, I don't think it was... Um, the process wasn't as structured as it is now, and that's you know obviously things evolve. Um, but there were certainly much wider, greater opportunities out there than I took advantage of. If I'm honest, I think like a lot of people, really ignorant, was quite blasé about it all. Because in the end, uh, I think I wound up going on a computer course and something in Tombridge. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. And partly because it wasn't too far from where I was based at Woolwich at the time. Uh, B, because to be honest, I wasn't that interested in resettlement. The time was coming to an end, coming to a close. In loosely scripted, I thought I would do something linked to hospitals, loosely, but you know, there was no thought or process plan went into it. It was just, you're a medic, you've done this, you know, but <laughs> that's what you'll wind up doing. Um, but you know, a lot of good came out of it. I am a glass half full person, you're probably gathering, but a lot of good yes. came out of that, in so much as I love Tombridge. Uh, kind of wax lyrical to my wife, who probably was yawning all day long. Here he goes again, another scheme. <laughs> but um, the point was, yeah, I love the area with the passion, but as you and I know, and anybody else, it's quite expensive in that area. Mm. Yeah, and we wound up living in Maidstone, Barming. But yeah, that was the link to get me to Kent, actually, because I was going to relocate back up to Manchester. Right. Barry, uh, Bori, depending yeah, on Yeah, yeah, where you're from. <laughs> where, where is your wife's? From is she from down there? Uh, no, my wife was born in Saint Kitts, Saint Christopher. Oh sorry, wow! Saint Kitts and Nevis. Yeah, so my wife's from. Yeah. How beautiful! Yeah, my daughter's born in Germany. So there you go. How old were you when you left? Forty? Uh, no, I was. Um, I left a little bit early on redundancy, but it was thirty-eight. 38. Thirty-eight. Yeah, you see, yeah. and you're a young man. You know, but some people haven't started yes. their lives. You're a young man, and you've still got loads to offer, yeah. and. It's about that giving people opportunity, which we try and do. You know, look, it's, it, the world isn't always perfect and we get let down by clients and they make promises, And but we try our absolute hardest to make sure that we do the right thing. And that's why we do that. That's why I do the podcast, because I want to highlight the great people like yourself right, and you. Nick and all the other people I've interviewed because you've all got a story. We've all got stories yes. and we're all wonderful people. And sometimes people take us on face value, but they don't know us. <laughs> they don't, they don't know you. They don't understand that for 20 odd years, you served queen and country that you saw mm. things that people would not ever want to see. And, that you've been involved in things that people would never want to do. And, and when they turn off their television at night or close their door, unless there's Pauls and Travels that are actually doing that stuff, nobody else is going to go and do it. No, absolutely. And I certainly, and, you know, people would argue that you and I are a little bit biased, you because know, we're from those organisations, institutions, etc. But, you know, you'll relate to it, isn't it? You'll be, you know, you go into an office, you get a briefing on the back of a minimal briefing, you're expected to go and make it happen. And with respect... We just felt that empowered to get on and do it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and that, and that's what even the worst copper, worst soldier in the world, they may not get it right and they may not understand, but they understand what customer focus is. 
you know, the, the army's slightly different to the police because the police is outward facing with their customers, yeah. where, the, where the military is more inward facing, yeah. although they're now doing more peacekeeping duties. Yes. And they're, they're out, you know. Yeah. I was reading the other day, you know, people out in Kenya, they're doing anti terrorist patrols out there. and But the public don't know that. And I think that the police and the military could help themselves so much more if they were more proactive in the way that they show off the great work that they do. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think you're 100%. They are the world's worst, the police, the army, the navy, the air force, the ambulance service, the fire service, the, the world's worst at promoting themselves. Yeah, the, because the they've best. got they've got this public sector gene, which we, we've got, you've got, and I've got, but they're not good at talking about what they do, and it's it's a real shame. So when you've, when, what was your first job after you've left the military? Uh, the first job, yeah. <laughs> The first job, sorry, keep me smiling because I'm reflecting. That. No, I'm I, really coming in genuinely, um, partly, obviously, we set it up this morning, but B, I really thought I'm just going to come in with an open mind and take it where it goes. Yeah. You know, like, quite like. So, hence, when you ask me, I'm smiling. I'm well, reflecting. I hope it helps. I hope this is helping because no, this is, this is going to be kept forever and ever. Amen, you know. And First job, uh, basically, I was temping. Oh, were you? Yeah, uh, we pretty much uh, did a number of tenting jobs for maybe six to eight weeks. And the usual thing, the agency would send you to A, B or C, a lot of it in London. I was embalming Mason at the time. And um, the story I tell to people, basically, I was probably one of the oldest coffee boys in the country at the time. <laughs> but I didn't mind, genuinely didn't, I'm being sincere, I didn't mind it. It was better than sitting at home. Feeling sorry for me, so, I mean, by the way, when I say fair, not that you know, woe is me. It's not that story. No, I've been been active for twenty odd years here, there, and everywhere, and suddenly, to for want of expression, wake up and I won't say a sense of purpose. That's a bit too for me. That's a bit too dramatic. But waking up and you know, there was no plan, no real structure to the day. It was wow, it wasn't. You know, Please, people have it a hell of a lot worse. I've only probably scratched the surface, but it wasn't a good experience. But but you've just come out of an organisation where if a young soldier walked into your office, they'd call you sir. Yeah, fair one, fair point. And now you're, point. you're serving coffee and looking at you and talking to you, you're probably calling them sir because your disposition yeah. is all yeah. around respect and, you know, and and I'm the same even now. If I don't know somebody's name, I don't, you know, they're, they're still sir, and that's that's how I am. Um, but how, I mean, that must have been quite demoralising to start off with. Um, I, I generally, again... Here's your half full bit. You're half full all the time, aren't you? I can tell. Yeah, so, yeah, and, you know, I'm, I dare say, you know, the human psyche is that you block certain things out of your mind, you know, for yeah. obvious reasons. But, yeah, I don't... I mean, I suppose other than the uncertainty of going into an environment where I wasn't familiar out of my comfort zone and things like that, which I think is quite natural for a lot of people. But no, nothing, you know, feeling down, low, demoralised, you know, suddenly I'm on a pedestal, whatever pedestal it was, and then suddenly no longer on that kind of, no, none of, generally none of that. Um, none, if anything, it's not tangible, but I... I believe being amongst people, having, you know, some professional, some social, some banter conversations, uh, there's no way I can ever evidence this, but I just think it lends itself to part of the story to being where I am now. 
Yes, I really do. So, so how do we progress to where we are now then? Because you've you you've gone on to do some great things. You were the training manager for Kent Police. Now, how did you get to that position? I mean, that's that's quite a you know Kent a, a, a sizable force, um, huge amount of credibility. Mm-hmm. Who? Well, how did you get there, first of all? Yeah, and just just to kind of to join, join the dots a bit in the transition, uh, having done a number of temporary jobs, the temping jobs, then I worked uh, medical surgery, a doctor surgery, right. for about 13 months. And I have to be honest, I didn't enjoy it. I uh, spent most of my day listening to complaints, and a lot of them were just so unfounded, but you had to go through the process. Yeah. So I, I, you know, so thankfully, the job opportunity came up at Kent. It was advertised as a physical education coordinator, PTI, physical training instructor. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'll be honest, yeah, I was very excited about applying for it. And coincidentally, I think either the evening before, two evenings before, I was speaking to a good friend of mine. And during the conversation, it turned out we were both applying for the Oh, really? Of Kent. <laughs> and uh, very long story, I was... Um, Oh gosh, uh, I think they call it the ACIs, uh, Assistant Instructor Physical Training, as was in those days. Yep. So if you wish a PTI within the core, your regimental cap badge. Yep. Whereas my friend, he was Physical Training Corps, Army Physical Training right, Corps. Okay. So I came off the phone. I remember saying to my wife, I said, I can't believe it. She said, What? I said, He's going for the same job as me. I won't say his name if you don't mind. No, no. But he's going for the same job as me. You know, and by default, qualifications wise, you know, he's going to beat me hands down every time. And um, as they say, excuse me, behind everybody's a good woman, all the rest of it. And I was massively into my squash and fairly okay and all the rest of it. And she said, well, theme your interview around squash, you know, as much as you can. Obviously, I had to link it to policing, but just that's what you know, that's your passion. And yeah, I think that made me feel relaxed. And sometime later, from my perspective, the realization that it isn't necessarily the most qualified person they want for the job. You need the skill set, but the person they think is going to fit into the team, yeah. into the dynamic of what they're looking for. Because as I say on paper, my, my friend, hands down. But um, yeah, that's how I became, as I say, the physical education coordinator. I was met by a, uh, by a PC, Charlie Small, who was basically part of the public order team, who on my day one took me up to the PTI's office, which was, uh, do you know Kent at all? Excuse my ignorance. I do, yeah, 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 yeah. All oh, right, the driving range. The driving range. Yep. And now uh, the driver the driver training school's up Driver training school, yeah, PTI's yeah. PTI's office, if you wish, with a gym. Yeah, and um, there was a sports dome there. You know, like these tennis domes that they have? It was a, that was the gym, a sports dome. But uh, he took me up to the office, opened the door, and it was just full of boxes, and that was it. And that was, sincerely, that was my welcome to Kent. Please. Well, what year was that? <laughs> Say again, sorry. What year was that? Oh, uh, May 94, actually. 94. Yeah, May 94. Yeah, May 94. Um, and, I mean, even during the interview, uh, gosh, uh, Stuart Donaldson, I think he was chief inspector, but that bit doesn't matter with respect, but Stuart Donaldson, during the interview, I can remember him saying to me, he said, you look very relaxed, you know, and basically my response was, well, to be honest, other than the fact that you wear a blue uniform and I've been wearing green all my life and some of your jargon I don't understand, but I said, this is what I've done all my life. Yeah. I feel like I've... Come home. You know, I think, 
Yeah, or as you relate to, you know, we yeah. say growing up with your parents from the service. Yes, you know, there's, I don't get me wrong, um, all big industries have their culture, by the way. It makes me chuckle. Oh, of course. People go, oh, yeah, your uniform hierarchy. I go, you take me to a local, take the average person to a local authority. If we watch the group down there during a break time, we can tell you who the CEO is. <laughs> yeah, that's right. People are people, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, of course, of course they are. And it's, it, it's all in all industries, whether it's in Fords or whatever it may be. There's a hierarchy, and that's how it all works. Yeah. So yeah, that's how um, you know started at Kent Police. Um, as I say, physical education coordinator. But from day one, it was all about police self-defence. Ninety-five percent. Well, ninety percent plus. Yeah. About police self-defence. If you recall, in those days, certainly from a Kent perspective, very much ninety-four. It was a uh, taijutsu. Yeah. Aikido, judo based arrest in defense. Yeah, that's right. Goose, <laughs> goosenecks and everything else. There you I, go. The, well done. Well but, done. But, but, and, and I still use that today. The CS spray would have just been coming in. Um, Batons have been in for a couple of years. You know, we've gone to asps from, from the um, okay. from sticks. Well but, but yeah, I mean, it was the, the world was changing. And then, of course, we got the leg restraints and everything yes, else that well went with it. And the, I mean, what was that like, though, going into that? You've you've gone from the, the military, you've gone into the police. Now, the, the military, dare I say, is probably more structured in, in re- relation to um, discipline. You know, as a sergeant major, if you walked in and said, right, you stand there, they'll stand there for as long as you like. With a police, I mean, now it's even harder because they've all got their phones and they're all WhatsApping <laughs> their mates. But... What was that like going into the, the gymnasium and trying to train all those new probationers? Yeah, well, from the probationers, it wasn't too difficult, but going back a pace, though, but just the kind of the general discipline around the training school area complex. Mm. Um, yeah, in my head, I struggled with a lot of it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, just the fact that I remember the superintendent at the time, you know, having my welcome interview with him, and at the end of it, you know, I remember asking him, you know, how would you like me to address you? And he kind of looked at me. And if he'd have said to me, call me sir, that wouldn't have batted an eyelid because that's where I'd come from. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Yeah. And he, in the end, I mean, I must be, he said, you know, you can call me Steve. And I can't remember exact conversation, but some of the effects of, well, I can't call you Steve. You're the boss up here. Yeah. Yeah. And how, where do you go to from there? I, I just, I, yeah, I do. I, I'm with you, absolutely with you, 100%. Of course, at that time, I think Ashford was still going as a police training yes, school, wasn't it? Was. So you would Absolutely. directly, you, you'd, you'd get the initial intake, then they'd be dispatched to Ashford, and then they'll come back for local procedure course. Spot on. Yeah, ab- absolutely spot on. But, you, of course, you're then training people that are coming to the end of their service, and they'd have mm-hmm. done 30 years. So in 94, they'd have joined in 1964. <laughs> so you, you're getting the old and the bold come through who really – don't want to be there. They don't. Mm. They're not interested in using gas and um, batons yeah. and things like that. What was what was that like? Do you do you recall any of that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I genuinely. Um, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you know for me everybody took to me. I get that. I'm not that naive. But I can sincerely say I very rarely had a problem in terms of let's say discipline for want of an expression. People. Yeah, of course, people don't want to be there. And even to this day, people don't want to be at certain training. Mm. But as long as the courteous, and with respect, this training I've been on in the past where I really didn't want to be there. But as long as you're courteous enough, 
you know what I mean, to look attentive, etc. I can live with that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of people were comfortable enough, and I was comfortable with them saying, uh, you touched on it. Um, I was very fortunate, and you, you can't really pick your timing, so to speak. But when I came along in 94, the back end of Taijutsu, getting changed into judo suits, going up there, and you'll recall this as well, and I smile now, slightly embarrassed. We didn't do any talking, did we? Remember, if this and this happens, this is how you manage it. Yeah. Don't worry about the talking bit. Yeah, no, they, they grab hold of your shirt, you grab the hand, and you put them in an arm lock. It's as simple as that. I still 100%. remember them. I still remember yeah. every move. 100%. Remember learning break falls? You had to yeah. go down on your knees, fall on your backside, yeah. and then you progressed it before all of that. You know, and I look back now, and I'm sure others do, you know, Really getting changed into judo suits to come practice martial arts to go outside and work with the community. Mm. Yeah, but I think, <laughs> but, but, but I think again, it's a part of the discipline, isn't it? You know, we as a society, discipline falls apart. Mm. And from a police perspective, there is no rank in a, in a in a dojo. You know, you you can either do it or you can't do it, and. I, I, you know, I think it's a really good thing. I think it's a really sad day when we stop doing these things. You know, going on your mile and a half run, doing your twenty yeah. press ups, yes. twenty sit ups, twenty burpees, as part of your because with the greatest will in the world, a, a fat knacker like me could go and do a, a bleep test. Well, we still get fixated, don't we? There, somebody has to look like you know, um, present like an an Olympic, Olympic based athlete. Yeah. I'm still fixated with that, aren't we? You know, and in the past, I've been guilty of that. I don't mind admitting it. But, you know, frankly, as you get older and allegedly wiser, you know, at the end of the day, as long as somebody can do the job, you know, and you know as well as I do, not just not just policing, but many jobs, define the job. Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, but I do think it is about um, presence, certainly in the police. Standards yeah. <laughs> and presence actually do matter. And, um, you know, I would wear my hat with pride. Absolutely, yeah. you know, I'd be out there with my big hat on and my flat cap, whatever, it, whatever the situation, and turned into my dad. Yeah. How long were you there as, as the uh, head instructor? Well, uh, for me, just linking back a little, if you don't mind, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I think twofold. When um, when Bat Aspatten came in, because remember prior to that, I suppose just to give people a little bit of context, as you will certainly know, it was a wooden truncheon and chain link cuffs, which nobody carried. <laughs> So suddenly we went to ass battens, rigid, rigid handcuffs, mm. and as you quite rightly say, you know, you call it its colloquial title, gaseous, gaseous was more commonly known. Yeah. Uh, and then, as you say, you'd have your, your old and bold, and I say that with tongue-in-cheek humorously, who'd then attend the training, and from my experience, they'd go through the training, but at the end of it, they go, I'm not really happy about this. I spent all these years doing this. Yeah. And now I've been told I've got to carry all this kit. And by the way, you tell me if I'm concerned for my safety and I can justify it, I can use force. And that's how it, that's how a lot of the conversation went. After the training, they come up, you know, and I was comfortable to have the conversation. Then why not? We want people to be empowered. Yeah. You know, but they'd say, yeah, you know, this is not me that's changing. I don't like this and things like that. I, I'll be honest, initially, I struggled to get my head around it because bearing in mind where I'd come from, <laughs> I couldn't, you know, after a while, I started to appreciate, particularly people in certain roles, yeah. you know, they weren't necessarily front-facing. But, yeah, initially, probably for a good year or two, possibly, I really struggled with why wouldn't people want to attend training and get PPE? You know, yeah. It just didn't make any sense to me at the time. At the time, 
But I know people that actually handed in their tickets. They actually yes. retired on the back of having to carry an asp and... Yeah, actually, what you just said about, yeah, I've forgotten about that. Yeah, people handed the tickets in, didn't they? Yeah, That's they did. Right. Yeah, yes. they just said, I'm not I'm not doing this. And a, a lovely fellow. And he mm. just said, you know what? I, I can't do this anymore. I'm not here to beat people up. I'm here. I'm a, he's a community police officer. He was as hard as nails, don't get me wrong, you know, but but if he yeah. if he needed to do it, he could restrain somebody without using a, a baton. Yeah. And um and I think that look, has it gone too far? I don't know. I, I do worry that all of this additional equipment has taken all it's built a barrier between the officers and the and the um the public, which I find really quite you know, like the tasers, but I also get that people have got to defend themselves. But you only have to look at the rise of complaints around use of force. I wonder if there'd have been the same level of complaints if people had just, you know, grabbed hold of somebody and, and restrained them in the old fashioned way. I'm not saying giving them a beating or anything like that, but but you know, the old the old fashioned grab hold and, and hope for the best, that that went a long way. Something you just said there and and genuinely I yeah, and I was going to bring it up, but you, you've, you've introduced it. But I think, yeah, the issue with the PPE has put a bit of a gap between the policing and the community, you know, from a wider perspective. But I also think going from the days of the the white blouse, blouse or the blue shirts, the different, you know, the blue, broadly blue trousers to suddenly wearing black shirts, black trousers, boots, the elasticated buttons now, though it's designed differently. It's like, wow, what are we doing? What are we doing? I used to like the blue shirt with the black tie, with the black trousers, blue trousers, clean shoes. Yeah, yeah, yes. I used yes. to walk the town in a big hat wearing a um, – look, it wasn't practical, but it looked bloody smart. But, you know, I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd wear a tunic, and when it was raining, I'd wear an overcoat. Now, and if I went to a pub fight, then it was that's – how, that's how we were dressed. And if you if you wanted to wear – a jumper in the car, you had to wear the same jumper as the bloke that's sitting next to you. You couldn't wear a summer jumper. Oh. You, if he had a NATO on, you had to wear a NATO as well. So there was that standard of uniformity, and there was nothing wrong with that. And like I say, I know I sound like my dad, oh, no. but that's, that is, that's how it was. And so there's some things I'm sure like you in my family and kind of, I'm going to call it circle of people I know and all that. Yeah, some things I'm just, sorry, I'm not buying it. No, no, I'm with <laughs> I'm you. And the, but the problem is that the police constable today that will be wearing that, that equipment will be the chief constable of a force in 20 years' time. And then they'll try and change it even further and there'll be more additions and there'll be, you know, greater barriers. But I also accept... Well, I don't know. I don't know what the figures are around assault on police. It'd be interesting, actually. I might do that as a as an FOI to find out what the levels of assault on police are now, where they're all carrying PPE and they're doing it compared to twenty years ago, because they'll still have those figures. We roll out the line. I say we the role, the Home Office approved techniques. You know, but let's be brutally honest. What does that actually mean? And I get it, by the way, and you get it, and most people get it. It kind of implies, doesn't it? You know, if you've got this this manual and you do exactly what it says in the manual, everything's fine. But you and I know, and many people know, by the way, without being rude, 
that's not realistic. No. It's not really, you know, you'll never have a manual which will cover every situation. It's impossible. But but most of the people that adjudicate on it have never had a fight with an angry person. <laughs> well, you're getting into my, my favourite subject now, well, which is the fact that well, every adult is an expert allegedly at speaking to people. So how long were you doing the training for Kent then? Yeah, so uh, my apologies. Yeah, so no, from 94, uh, got into... Um, yeah, you know, police self-defense trainer to give it its generic title. Yeah, um, and that lasted up until nineteen, about nineteen ninety nine. Right, and that's when I, you know, uh, that was the start of certainly unbeknown to me at that time towards becoming the manager of the training unit. Brilliant. And we spoke about I think uh, much earlier on. Uh, that's when the review went from I believe it was fifty odd trainers. I think nine were actually doing it full time, if you wish. So you know, there wasn't enough training across the force. Therefore, the percentage of numbers of officers trained wasn't was quite low, if you wish. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we were carrying a risk around that for obvious reasons. So we decided to centralise the unit, and um, I'm not sure. Well, I obviously I'm not privy to how the conversation came about, but eventually I became the manager of the unit. I've been being there for quite a significant period of time. And at that point, I was seconded up to the public order unit. So as opposed to working at, I'm going to call it the training school, at the back of the complex yep. as such, to the front of the house where the public order unit were based. And then we, um, in the January of 2000, I believe it was, then we interviewed or certainly selected six, maybe seven civilian trainers we went on a very steep learning curve around, and I can relate to it, obviously going back to 94, um, doing the training, you know, obviously that was, the learning curve was massive, but then suddenly doing the training and people are talking about the law relating to the use of force with no background, was like, wow, you know, with respect, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you're the trainer. Yeah, but I don't know what you're talking Se about. Section three. Yeah, well, I, yeah. Haven't come, I haven't come through the same funnel you've no. come through, you know, and I mean, people were fantastic, very supportive, and you had to learn very, very quickly, but yeah, from about, two th well, from 2000, certainly 2001, up until, I left in 2015, but I spent periods of secondments, although my appointment role was that, I was, uh, got it uh, within the diversity team, <clears throat> part of the Essex Kent collaboration. Yeah. So although I was still involved kind of behind the scenes in the background, uh, but certainly uh, from 2001 to 2015, certainly 2013, and then after that, the secondment and kind of, I'm going to call it dual different roles. So you'd have worked um, so, with um, Ian Learmonth? Oh, Ian Learmonth, yeah, uh, forgive me. Um, and, you know, the reason, I, you know, for me, the way I just responded, uh, you think I'd know him like, <laughs> of course I didn't know him like that, but what I mean is, you think about leadership for me, he worked. Oh, yeah, no, he's at ex-Essex. I worked in Essex all my service, so I knew a lot of people down there. Uh, but, it, you know, it's a great job. Do you miss that element of your life? Oh, gosh. Um, I miss 100% the camaraderie. Yeah, occasionally meet up with, because uh, I'm up north now, as people, as you know, and people probably uh, may know and will gather Occasionally, uh, my travels take me down towards Kent, and as you do, you make phone calls, try and catch up with people, and I'll just say the banter and the humour is great. No, that's, <laughs> that's good. I'm going to say. Just, just going back a step, when you were on the public order, did you get involved in the public order training? Oh, gosh, yeah, my apologies. Yeah, um, yes, 100% got involved with it. Be Going back to 94, 
before uh, one after they lost crown immunity policing i forget it was 90s wasn't it yeah. uh, mid late 90s i think yeah and for no wrong reason but they were a bit more relaxed about certainly from my perspective what i could get involved with yeah <laughs> so i'll say and uh, which worked great for me and i think some of it because i would come from the services i think it was just that perception yeah he's fine with it he'll be okay and i was and it was great and bear yeah. in mind you know that i wasn't applying it operationally but i needed to be as, as much as i could up close and personal without being you know grandiose so that at least when i'm delivering training i can put a bit more context to what i knew about it or what i thought i knew yeah so i got to shadow loads of people in different roles and thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it loved it with a passion so you would have been to lid a few times then Oh gosh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. Oh, uh, but enjoyed that as well. I used to love going down there. That was um, doing the training down there. The smell of petrol and the bricks, and it was a character building absolutely. And it stood you in good stead because you actually knew what your team were capable of, and and you knew the people you could rely on that weren't going to, dare I say it, bottle it at the wrong time. But um, but it's funny, isn't it? When people, you know, not just in policing, the military, in lots of environments. But when people have, you know, as a as a body of people have been through hard times and good times together, then that's when the bond forms, isn't it? That's when you get to know your fellow person. And, you know, let's be really honest, in that group, you know, not everybody likes everybody, but to the outsider looking in, tight, really, and that kind of stuff. You know, and it sounds very great. You know, and I, you know, someone I'm talking to some families, I'm sure, and all of us do as are as the more mature people, they look at us and start yawning. But it's like, no, that was a great experience. But but you're absolutely right. You're absolutely. There were people that probably couldn't stand me, but I knew that if we were in a, in a situation, I knew that they were they had my back and I had theirs. There was no way we were going to hang each other out to dry. We were going to work together, and yeah. you know over 30 odd years and the same with yourself in the military you get in some really tight spots and you need to have that camaraderie and some of those guys today you know it still comes with them a lot you know maybe online more and yeah. stuff like that but still and you know i, would, I don't mind admitting it we still tell still the same stories over and over again yeah, it's lovely. <laughs> it is lovely what was the motivation to leave in 2015 what what made you turn it in yeah certainly um well i think like police officers isn't it you know and i remember and i used to have this conversation with a lot of police officers who a came into training um and most wanted to do it anyway but you know in the same way you joined policing to go out there and you know look after and work with the community by and large yeah and i joined to train people you know so don't get me wrong i enjoyed being a manager a lot of kudos went with it in in, in the context yeah. but uh, I can't remember, I couldn't give you the date time reference, but I can remember clearly being in the office and they were talking about something in training and that was a realisation that actually it's moved on now from what I'd introduced. Yeah. Yeah, and that really, yeah, it yeah, must have been a long, a long time of reflection, like what I thought I knew and, you know, I had a big involvement in the training and moved on significantly. Yeah, and I'm not saying that was a moment where, but, that was probably the first realization that yeah, this isn't quite what I came to do. Although I was still enjoying myself. Yeah. And then I think the secondment to a degree to the diversity team, you know, as they were restructuring, and you know, I, I learned a lot within the diversity team and the colleagues at Essex genuinely were great. 
But yeah, looking back, then the kind of writing was on the wall that, you know, things have moved on now and you don't feel as connected as I used to. And thankfully, or fortunately for me, the redundancies came up because in my head, uh, and I think when people are moving on, particularly after a significant period of employment with a, uh, with a body, an establishment, an organisation, there comes a point when in your head you've moved on. Yeah. Yeah, and I must be honest, and I said to quite a few people, I was fortunate, well, yeah, I got it anyway, but had I not got it, I'm not sure what I would have done because my head was no longer there anymore. But, yeah, but there's, yeah, a, there's an irony, and forgive me, but there's an irony that you've been taken into a team that's about inclusion and you don't feel included anymore. <laughs> Good point, never thought of <laughs> but it. But it's, it, but it's true, you know, you, you've gone into a diversity <laughs> inclusion unit and you don't feel part of the team. I mean, that is, there's, there's a huge irony there. You know something? And, yeah, you know, I've kind of missed the blinding the obvious use of that. <laughs> <laughs> I never stopped to think of never, ever stopped. Yeah, I remember having a conversation with a colleague of mine once. Um, oh, gosh, Nikki. That's right, Nikki. Bless her. She's very genuinely taught me a lot in terms of the wider issue around because uh, most of my links to diversity were around race, BPA, OK, MEPRA is the colleague, Ethnic Police Association, uh, themselves. But when I went across uh, with Nikki, Zoe, and one or two other people, then look at it from a much wider and broader perspective. But I can remember one day saying to her, we were, we were doing some event or other. I'm like, you know, um, uh, yeah, I'm a bit fed up with this, you know, chunna, chunna, moan, 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 you know, themselves from there, like coming across here. And she would say, yeah, but think about it. At the end of the day, you're being paid to be here. <laughs> and you're okay to be here. You know, you're fair play. You know what I mean? Just yeah. wind your neck and get on with it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, but what what you see and what I see in diversity are two different things, you know, and, and what somebody else will come in, you know, a younger person will, will see it from a different perspective as well. Mm. Oh yes. How do you please, think? Yeah. How do you think the police service deal with diversity now? I mean, it, it's it's evolved significantly since I joined. But what what do you think? You know, looking back to your army days and the, your police days, what? How do you feel that they deal with it now? Yeah, uh, I mean, currently, I, yeah, because I'm out the loop a little bit now. So I, you know, I'll go back a couple of years, so to speak, when I was in. But uh, I genuinely believe, from my perspective, Kent made a lot of efforts to try and bring uh, people in um, black and minority ethnic people in the main into the organization themselves. And yeah, I was part of some of those processes and I think there was genuine effort to try and do that and, you know, increase the numbers. Unfortunately, uh, I don't think it was intentional, but having through periods being successful in that, yeah, and I have n I have no knowledge of this, so it's just my own viewpoint, if you wish me not. But the steps then around progression, whatever progression meant, I don't think there was a process in there to support people when they came yeah. in around that. I want to say progression, I'm not talking about all hierarchy, you know, whatever the progression meant. And I think that's where a lot of it failed themselves from there. I also feel that, you know, Having tried the processes, certainly from my point of view, over 20 odd years, and the figures never particularly increased, then you know, I was an advocate of positive action. What I mean by that, so people who from underrepresented disadvantaged groups 
who didn't feel they had the hope to get into policing, then they should be supported towards the application process. Yeah, just so that they have the opportunity to then, along with Jumi and everybody else, apply to get into the police or get into certain roles. That's what I mean by cause. Not about, you know, to put it crudely, me being placed in front of you, to put it, you know, crudely, yep. so I can get the job. That's not what I'm talking about. But, you know, me, if you wish, being placed alongside you to be able to apply, but with some support, not coaching, support. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I think sometimes that the police need to go into communities and break the cycle because yes. I think that some kids, um, you know, if you go into some parts of southeast London, they've got absolutely no chance whatsoever of ever becoming a police officer, yet they make the finest police officers in the world, but they'll never break that cycle because there's no one there to mentor them and bring them through that yeah. through the difficult times and get them out of the cycle of, you know, whether it be knife crime, drug dealing, whatever it may yeah. be. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that they're doing that, but they're in the, in the company that people that do is, is making it, making the police service credible so that they will join because at the moment there aren't enough black kids joining the police no. service. No. And, and until they do, and, but it's also, and, and if you speak to Norwell, he'll, he'll tell you, and, and I would love you to meet him because he's a smashing, smashing guy. I, said, I know lots of him for obvious reasons. I know lots about him. And he's absolutely brilliant. In fact, I think he's from St. Kitts, if I remember rightly. But, but, but nevertheless, mm. but he will tell you that it was the acceptance by the younger people in the black community that were the biggest barriers. The older people were totally respectful and they wanted him. They wanted him to be their representative in the police service. But the younger people didn't want that. And it's about that education and understanding. And I saw a brilliant video of a a young police officer playing basketball with a a, a load of kids in in a... Absolutely superb. That is what community is about. And I think unless we start to break the cycle, get the get the coppers in the community, properly in the community. And Baroness Casey has made it very clear, policing is failing because coppers, they've withdrawn their services. There are no, you know, they've closed their police stations. They're not in the community in the true sense of the word. And until they do that, they're not going to, they're not going to change the cycle. So what, what happens after 2015? You're, you've now left Kent police. Yeah. What happens to you then? Yeah, so, you know, prior to leaving, uh, I think we still call it secondary employment, you know, getting a job outside of policing yep. work. So I'll, um, I had periods of that, uh, quite a good number of years uh, with themselves. So I was familiarising myself, uh, certainly training people in other sectors outside of policing. But in 2015, I just, for me, naturally went into, if you wish at the time, being a freelance trainer. Yep. Themselves and, you know, whether people are in enforcement or staff who provide a service to the public, fundamentally, in when I say my line of business, personal safety training, give us chair. Stage one's got to be about customer service. It's got to be, hasn't it? Yeah. And I think people, I think people underestimate that from my point. Not all, but a lot of people under. It's all about, isn't it? Most days. For most people, a good day is having a good interaction with people, having a good time in the workplace, having a great time. Every now and again, things don't go according to plan. They don't necessarily go horribly wrong. We have near misses. Yeah. I understand the near misses. 
then that will make people reflect. It's not that they've been complacent or laxed or anything, but things just happen, don't they? You'll know. Yeah, absolutely. Best plans in the world, things go wrong. Yeah. So, you know, I was doing that freelance across different sectors, you know, and um, basically, you know, like going up and down the country, not on a day-to-day basis, but, you know, just to get experience in different uh, different sectors themselves and, you know, just picking things up because obviously I knew a reasonable around around personal safety themselves, but it's just a contextualization. Yeah. I mean, that's one level themselves, but then start to understand the language, some of the reg- legislation, some of the regulations for those sectors. And then as we all know, and that was, you know, that was working very well still in Maidstone. I was enjoying it. Then COVID hit and COVID, you know, whilst it was a very bad experience for a lot of people, but for me, it was great. Um, in no particular order, that's when I really got to know Nick very well. well obviously, prior to that, but and you probably know we do Wordly Wise together and a lot of good stuff and top, top man, top man, um, genuinely top man. Uh, but Nick uh, joined a networking group, ABC. Yeah, shout out to ABC Network down in Kent there. Uh, but generally, sitting around the table with people, you know, we're running businesses, small, medium, some large, but basically learning lots from them and i won't lie thinking well actually i fancy some of that not that i can do any better than them but listening to what they were doing thinking well you know i can do the same and it was a massive turning point to getting a bit more business minded about this networking and i'll be honest until covid i didn't really appreciate the value of networking got lots of contacts lots of good friends lots of colleagues but and now appreciate much more the value of networking. It should never, ever be underestimated. Oh, it's, it's huge. It's a huge part of any business. Yeah, but then I think with that, making your own luck, you know, so NVC as was, because uh, that's that's the company I ran. It's still in the background, which I'll, you know, I'll, I'll make a link to. But uh, that was developing quite well. And then last year, the back towards the back end of last year, I was given an opportunity. Uh, gentleman by the name of Mark Dawes, a lot of people know in the training world, who's very influential figure. Him and his wife Deborah, National Federation of Personal Safety (NFPS), sorry, my point limited. Yeah, they built that up over about uh, 25, 30 years. Themselves, he was stepping back to retire. And he gave me the opportunity to be a co-director with my co-director friend and colleague, Robert Landells, Rob Landells, you know, which for me and Rob, what might be saying for him, was a massive step up in terms of a business opportunity. Oh, fantastic. So, so you know, we um, a much wider hub. Uh, what I forgot to add in all of this, apologies, was that whilst I was at Kent Police back around 2001, I got involved in the world of expert witness reporting. Wow. Yeah, not um, yeah. And if I say to you, and I'm not exaggerating too much, I was called in, given the briefing. Here's a document. Get on with it. Never even been to court in my life. I take <laughs> and, it you've uh, been to court now. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots, but at the time, I forgot, the, I forgot the the sergeant's name. Slightly embarrassed, but he very went out of his way to take me into a courtroom, so that when I had to go down the next day, I wouldn't be totally out of my comfort zone. Yeah, because people assume that I'd be in your court. I mean, hopefully not negatively, by the way. I hope not. But, you know, but certainly doing the expert witness reporting, which I still do now. Uh, so and you'll know, but just for the wider context, um, receive instructions from solicitors to review case file evidence about the appropriateness of the use of force. Of course, and yeah. Based on the evidence presented, 
give my opinion based on, but I like to view it from appropriate because you'd such an it's for a jury, isn't it? The judge to decide what was reasonable, etc. Yeah. So we do that across all all sectors, all services. Uh, from an NFPS perspective, you know, we train trainers, but we also support business in terms of, you know, and I'll say it, but I'm sincere about this. We want people to improve the safety of the working environment. Yeah. Enhance the services they're delivering because if they feel safer, they'll provide a better service to the people they're there to support, which will ultimately empower them to feel good in the workplace. And I know people say that's a cliche, but I believe that. Really no, I absolutely agree. I absolutely yeah. agree. So you are an expert witness in use of, use force. of force. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. And what is your coverage? Oh, uh, gosh. Uh, Predominantly the UK, but overseas, um, gosh, in the last three or four months, I've done two cases linked to New Zealand. Wow. Sadly, it was online. I didn't get to oh. that. Sadly, down. <laughs> when it first came up, I won't lie, I was thinking, great. Here we go. There's still <laughs> time. Fair. They might plead not guilty or guilty. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's, more, it's, all defense, it's more defense work that you do. Uh, no, if I'm honest with you, um, it, yeah, yes, it turns out that way. I do apologise. Yes, yeah. it does. But uh, I don't, you know, kind of put myself in terms of I work only for the defence. No, uh, no. As the instruction comes. No, exactly, exactly right. No, I absolutely understand that. It's um, but it, you know, it's primarily. And if you're, do you do you do work for the federation as well around policing or? Police officers, no, use of force by police not officers. Not federation, not the not unison directly. I don't think federation. Not that I'm aware of. Had they to do a report that the federation have been involved with right. in terms of me being instructed. Unison, there was one uh, linked to a local authority up north uh, in the north. Sorry, I'm in north. I was going to say you're up north now. Yeah, yeah. I have to keep <laughs> two years plus. I've been able to keep reminding myself. Sorry, um, but yeah, certainly. Um, a lot of it, you know, without going off at times and being too callous, but people get injured. Sadly, some people die. Yeah. You know, then you have to review that. And as I say, based on the evidence that's presented within the case file, then give an opinion back to solicitors. We'll obviously um, do what they need to do from a court inquest tribunal, because as you and I know, many others know, it's not just about courts. It could be an inquest, uh, you know, a tribunal process, isn't it? It's a presiding person yeah. who's going to make a judgment ultimately. Hey, yeah, I, and I assume you, you do licensing, anything to do with licenses and door staff and whatever that may yeah. be as well. That's Absolutely. Fascinating, yeah. fascinating yeah. world. And how are you enjoying it back up north then? After all these years, you've migrated back to the northwest. Loving it, honestly. Oh, yeah. yeah, I love it with a passion. Um, the story I used to tell uh, my family from Manchester, so they still live there, seeing brothers and sisters, we all get on very well. And they they used to look at me all strangely because I go, I was in the supermarket the other day, and we were going to check out, and you got people just chatting away about this, that, and the other, and nobody's bothered about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just relaxed. Whereas down south, and I'm generalizing, of course, they are, but people would get a little bit stressed when they didn't want to get on. Up here, everybody's just, just not everybody, but most people are quite chilled and relaxed. Yeah, so. especially the city fans amongst you. Oh uh, well, the family is split on that. Oh, are they? June, oh, we, we're, we're pretty much split down the middle. So uh, mm, 
Yeah, June the third's coming, isn't it? So cup final day. What's um? So what happens next then for Travel? What, what where where are you going to next, and how's life going to pan out for you? Certainly, um, I've got X number of years because uh, this has been a co-director. It was a new role for us. So so, if you wish, kind of short term is you know we want to become, if you wish, the hub in terms of work-related violence themselves, you know, and be the go-to people for training, advice, support, consultancy services, et cetera, and, you know, broaden that and strengthen that overseas. You know, we have very positive links in Hong Kong, Australia, Malta, you know, I'm trying to have conversations elsewhere to make those links, those partnerships, collaboration, you know, so to kind of you know, on the back of the good work that's already been uh, embedded within an FPS, then, you know, move it to another level. Just obviously, there's work to be done to do that. Um, right back to the start, we were talking about grandchildren. Yeah, then it's all about my grandson now. Everything's mm. about you. So when you were talking about grandchildren, that's what I was very, very interested because, yeah. yeah, behind the scenes, as much as we love what we're doing here and the work we do is important, but when you get with the grandchildren, everything else just goes and disappears, doesn't it? Mate, how old is he? He's not quite two yet, but bless him, brilliant. I get I get emotional every time I see him. I, I tell you, they're, they're just they. I don't know if there's a god. I don't know, but they're a blessing, and you know we just you have to make the most of every day. And you know I've got some lovely friends who are in a very difficult position at the moment, health wise. All right, and. It's sharp in my mind about the way that the things that I'm going to do with my grandchildren that I can to make those memories because we don't know how long we're going to be here. Well done. Yeah, exactly that. You know, that's interesting and, and we reflect on that now, don't we? Yeah, more? we do. And and I think as you get older, you face your mortality more. And I've, I'm very lucky. I've got some brilliant friends who work in some great places and, you know, I'm going to take certainly my granddaughter and my grandson when he finally gets over from Australia to places that money can't buy. But when I've tripped off this mortal coil, my grandchildren will say, my granddad took me here. I sincerely, no, I get it. I, I Honestly, Jim, that's what I say when you talk. It's, you know, it, it is a shocker and you relate to this. Isn't it strange that our grandchildren are the greatest kids in the world? Oh, <laughs> honestly, honestly, mate, I can't, I cannot quantify I love my boys dearly, you know, I do because they're my sons. Yeah, yeah. But I cannot quantify how important my grandchildren are. Yeah. And you realise how important those little babies are. Honestly, and and I've got I've got a grandson in Australia who I love dearly, but I don't get the opportunity to see him or mm. spend any time. I've met him twice. I went out twice last year. And we are lucky. The fact that we've got these kids, what we're really lucky, Trevor, is that we can give them back at the end of the day, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 let and let their let their mummies and daddies put them to bed when they're screaming. <laughs> and when match of the day comes on, I haven't got to worry about it, have I? I'm, I'm all sorted. But but yeah, yeah. So my friends who are seriously unwell, I know how important their grandchildren are mm. to them. And I know how important my grandchildren. So it does put a different perspective on your life. How long are you going to do this for, though? I mean, you, you've you've got 
you've got plans, you know, Man City are going to go on a world tour and you're, <laughs> you, you're going to spend quality time with your grandchild. But how long, yeah. are, you, how long are you going to do this for, mate? Well, no, the next review period is uh, 70 years of age, which is kind of three years away-ish and stuff like that. And, you know, I genuinely, and I've said this all my life, so I'm kind of hitting 50 and that, you know, all the time I'm still enjoying being around people, I'll still be involved. I'm with you. I'm absolutely with you. (laughs) And it's not work sometimes, is it? When it's your own business, it's not not work. (laughs) It's brilliant, isn't it? I'm being serious. Like you, and I can tell. But we love what we do, and I love it. Yeah. It's It's about people. It's about people. I, I, I always say that I will never ask for anybody to if I can have a day off. Because I don't, I, you know, I, I don't want to go back into that situation. I'm quite happy to do what I do and never have to ask. For, but I work every day in, in some form or another. Yes. I'll spend my day grafting away, and I'm sure you're you're the same. My daughter used to be freelance when she was much well, yeah, when she was much younger, and like yourself, growing up in institutions. Yeah, you know, I don't mind admitting, you know, we'd have some fallouts over the fact oh. that she didn't have a full time regular job. Yeah. But now that I'm at the other end and I'm now working for myself, I get it now. Mm. Yeah, it's so empowering and rewarding, isn't it? Oh, it's, it is absolutely. <laughs> it is. Look, it has its downsides because you think, oh, yeah. you know, what am I going to? Yeah. I hope, I hope such and such can't. And you, I think, being in the police, if I went off duty and I'd say to the sergeant or whoever was on duty, can you make sure that's on my desk tomorrow before I come mm. in? for work tomorrow, that would be on my desk. They mm. may have sat through the night, bless them, to do it, to make sure that it was there. Mm. And the military was the same. You know, it's like, you're you're the sergeant major. You'd be saying to people, right, I want that on my desk, you know, left, right, left, right, tomorrow morning. Mm. I find in private industry the letdowns are quite significant. <sighs> it's there's no There is no time scale. There's no mm. time. So if you, say, you have a meeting with someone, you say, oh, um, can we get this result? Yeah, we'll get it done. And then six months later, you're still in the same, yeah. you're still chasing yeah. the same rainbow. And that's just, and that that's the only thing that really does get me down in business. No, you're, you're right. And I still haven't 100% come to terms with that yet. And the other thing I find in certain meetings, you know, and you'll definitely relate to this, you know, I'll say, right, you know, we've have we got about an hour for this 30 minutes. Yeah, because I'm sure you've been there. Some of the meetings, some of the social pleasantries go on forever. Oh, I know. Yeah, when are we going to start the meeting? Yeah, let's just <laughs> let's just get on with it. I don't want to know what you have for breakfast or that you're off to, you know, Dubai for your holiday next week. I just want to get on with my work. Absolutely, absolutely. Sure. But um, but yeah, as I say, yeah, seven to be the next review, and I do I do less front-facing delivery of training now, uh, partly. With you know the size of the business we've got in terms of keeping all the current, future, etc., your know, clientele on board and getting them on board and keeping them supported, uh, and plus as well, I think you know in terms of my age now that kind of suits anyway. Yeah, you know, I don't mind admitting you know although I still like to do my exercises and so I keep fairly healthy, but your body reminds you if you do a bit of a robust session that you know you're not 18 anymore. No. No, sadly. <laughs> sadly, mate. Um, 
Travel, it has been an absolute pleasure to speak to you today, sir. And I really, I genuinely mean this. I hope that we get to meet up and I get the opportunity to buy you whatever you drink. And a coffee. I don't drink, sadly. But, uh, no, that's, that's no sadly at all. I think you're quite right. Otherwise, you'd end up like me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, By the way, I've been meaning to ask you. Go on. What is it, uh, bearing in mind the beard, what did you think of the old Chief Constable Police Scotland? Oh, I don't know. What's, what, oh, you're talking about he's going to ban beards. Oh, now, listen, let me get you onto that one. Let me get you onto that one. I actually agree. And I'll t- right, okay, I actually sorry. agree. The, the, the rule of thumb used to be that you could grow a beard in your own time. You'd never grow a beard on duty. So if you're on yeah. annual leave, you grow a beard. So I only grew it to look like my mother-in-law. But anyway... <laughs> but the other one, the other one for me, and I've got tattoos, but you would never ever know, is the excessive amount of tattoos that coppers have got now. Yeah, they've got a beard down here, and I think that's probably what he's talking about. But they've got a, a huge beard, mm-hmm. absolutely covered in tattoos, and they're lovely, lovely people, but I can't relate to them. I want somebody, if I'm in dire need, look, I don't care what they look like if I'm in that much of a need, but yeah, sure. if I if they're investigating a crime or whatever it may be, I want someone to come around that I can relate to. Yeah. Before we go any further, there's, a, there's an old yeah. saying that we, we, or a phrase that we use in the police. Is there anything you'd like to add, alter or correct in the statement that you've made today? <laughs> No, no, I'd like to just kind of from a wider perspective, I, but no, nothing, I mean, genuinely, I'm, everything we've been discussing, I'm comfortable because the interaction's been sincerely has been great. But what I would like, if you don't mind, just a little bit uh, linked to what I do. And yes. Yeah, you know, and I say this sincerely, but if there's anybody out there who needs any help, support, advice, I'm not talking about training. Yeah, we'll provide training, of course we will, but just help, support and guidance then please don't hesitate to get in touch with us where we can help. We'll help. If we don't know, then we've got a network of people we can call on to support people. But I appreciate you giving me time just to put that out there, please. So it's not a sell, it's a just offer of support. Listen, this is and this is what we do. So what I will ask you to do is if you can let me have all of the links to all everything that's relevant, LinkedIn, Facebook, mm. whatever right. you do, if you let me have the links, I will put that in the main body of the text on the main page and people can click onto it. You'll be able to find it on the main page associated to this particular podcast. All I'll do is I'll send you the ex-job services link and you can have a look at that. And, right. and, and basically that's a repository for people that got background in police or military and they can advertise their businesses on there right. and jobs are good. And then people can go to that because it's a, a repository for nice people who can promote their businesses on there. You can have a look at it. There's no pressure. If it's not for you, then it's fine. All right, brilliant. Certainly, right. no, I'll definitely look at that, without a doubt. Travel. And I generally, generally will make contact when I'm coming down, sincerely. I... Yeah, and by the way, I'm glad you mentioned Clyde Best, because that really does take me back to my being a child. <laughs> Clyde Best. Wow. He was, he was one of the first black players right. in, in, the, yeah. in the first division. I mean, we were in the first division then, but... Yes. Yeah, he was. He was an absolute legend. And I, 
I mean, this is another subject, but it's been an absolute pleasure, sir. Thank you so much for your time today. You've brought out more emotions in me than I realised, so thank you. Oh, thank you. And generally, hey, thanks for the opportunity to meet with you, chat with you, and have a really good good time with you, honestly. It's yeah, been good. it's been fantastic. Well, listen, God say, bless. And, and be in all touch the, the coffee. Yeah, definitely. And all the best to your Promise. family, and I wish you well, sir. All right, love to your family. Take care, Cheers. man. God Thank bless. You. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you.